You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and have a seat. My name's Keith, uh, and I'm a pastor here at the church. Uh, a real special welcome to you if this is your first time. Uh, if you haven't been here before or you're, you're, you're saying hello, you've, uh, you've been here before and you're, you're back uh, in town or visiting. I'm going to grab my notes. Team, thanks. I won't push off the stage. Thanks for leading us, Matthew and team. Uh, hey, we've been preaching through uh, uh, the book of Galatians, and I'm just going to jump right on in. And here's my caveat this morning. I got a bit of teaching to get through, uh, and so I kind of have a bit of a teacher's hat on this morning. But I was praying with the, the worship team beforehand saying, like, the, look, these are words on a page. <laughs> I got words on a page here. But when the Spirit of God lifts words off of a page and plants them in a person's heart, something happens. And so... <laughs> As the preacher this morning, my dependence is on the Spirit of God to do something real, something that is far beyond words on a page. And so I invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Galatians that we're walking through, uh, and it's uh, close to the end uh, of the Bible. There's a Bible and a pew in front of you if you want to follow along. I'm going to read uh, verses 10 all the way through to verse 24. So it is a big chunk of Scripture. But I'm going to say this morning, you're lucky, because really I was going to go through all the way into chapter 2 and read the whole of chapter 2. So I decided not to do that. Uh, But uh, it all fits together, uh, and you'll see how in, in just a moment. But let me invite you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Galatians 1, verses 10 to 24. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, had called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to, into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Jesus, uh, once again, we, we turn our hearts to you. Uh, and maybe, Lord, uh, this morning, uh, we, I take up a, a posture of humility uh, on behalf of your people, on behalf of people. Sometimes we think we know more than we do. And so, Jesus, thank you for the gift of gathering as your people to sit under your word so that the things that are really real can be illuminated by your spirit in our life and we might become human in the way you intended, in the beautiful way you intended. And so, Lord Jesus, build us into your image afresh today by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, well, last week, as I said, we began a sermon series going through the book of Galatians. And in it, the Apostle Paul is dealing with some significant baggage that, had, that the church had picked up along the way in their Christian faith and practice. And that happens sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes we pick up baggage, stuff that doesn't really matter, stuff that can be either harmful to ourselves or harmful to other people. And the book of Galatians is written to deal with the baggage that this church, that many churches, that lots of us pick up in our faith. And it's written to bring us back to the one thing, the one thing that matters most, the main thing, the gospel of Jesus. And here it is. In Jesus Christ, God has rescued us from sin and death and has established us in a new life that is empowered by his Holy Spirit. And, don't miss this part, this rescue is God's gracious gift to all who are undeserving of it. His rescue is for all of us who simply see our need and want to receive it. And the whole letter of Galatians, it's about shedding this religious baggage and returning to this one thing that matters. And so this morning, today, I simply want to offer five observations about this one thing, about the gospel that arises in the text that I just read. So today is about five things about the one thing that matters most. (laughs) But before I get there, I want to say a few words about how what we just read, like how does this fit into the larger letter that Paul is writing? Because there's a context here. And in order to do justice to what we're reading, I feel like I need to help us understand the context. So a few quick words before I actually get to the sermon. So if you're just here for the sermon, you can can snooze for the next five minutes. Uh, I won't mind. Uh, uh, And then we'll get into it. But here's what we need to know about what we're reading. First, we have to understand that Paul writes this letter because there are a group of agitators in the churches in Galatia who were convincing Gentile Christians that they needed to follow certain customs of the Jewish law, that they had to follow certain customs of the Torah, things like circumcision, and the food laws, and observing the Sabbath. They had to observe these pieces of Torah in order to be in a right relationship with God. I mean, after all, these things, 
These laws, they were like identity markers for the people of God. It's what set them apart as God's chosen people. And this was being required of, of the Gentile Christians. And, and Paul is writing to deal with the religious baggage. This was not the one thing. And so secondly, Paul is writing because he's been accused by these agitators of two things in particular. First, they are accusing Paul of being a people pleaser. And second, they're accusing him that his message is not authorized by Jerusalem itself. And now Jerusalem was the center of the Christian faith. It's where it really all began in many ways. And so he was accused of being a people pleaser and not having an authentic message of the gospel because Jerusalem didn't back him. Okay, so that's what we're reading, and, and he's addressing this. Let's look at the text a little closer that I read. First, the people pleaser. We see it. Look at verse 10. Paul says this. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, there was a group of agitators within the church that were saying something that might have sounded like this. They were saying, look how Paul is watering down the gospel. He's making it way too easy. Saying that you can be one of God's children without having to follow the Torah? No way. If you want to continue to be citizens of God's kingdom, you need to become like the rest of us. You need to follow Torah. You need to take our Jewish identity. Paul is trying to please people with a weak gospel. And he doesn't have the approval of Jerusalem either. And so what Paul says in chapters 1 and 2, it becomes a defense of these accusations that are brought against him and the gospel that he is proclaiming. And here's how he responds. There are three parts to his response in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And so quick overview. Here's his defense of the two accusations. First, he responds in chapter 1, verses 11 to 24, the verse, verses I just read, and he makes a single point. Basically, his point is this. He says, you know what? You're right. I am not connected to Jerusalem. The gospel I am preaching doesn't come from Jerusalem at all. He sees this as a good thing because, he says, his gospel is straight from the hands of Jesus Christ, not Jerusalem. Then he goes on in chapter 1, verses 1 to 10, which we'll look at next week, and he basically says, he says this, look, after 14 years of preaching this one gospel, I actually did go to Jerusalem for a significant time. And there, all the important players, the, the, the main apostles like Peter, James, and John, they all agreed with me that nothing should be added to the gospel that I'm preaching. And so he's affirming that actually Jerusalem did back him at some point in his gospel. And then finally, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 21, Paul essentially says to his accusers that if anyone has actually deviated from the agreed-upon gospel, that it's someone who has come from Jerusalem and not himself. And so there's a flow to Paul's argument here. It's what we're reading, and we're, we're jumping into the first part of it. 
And this morning, like I said, I, I simply want to linger on the one thing that matters most, and it's the gospel. And so five things about the only thing that matters. First, the gospel is a genuine work of God. It's not an invention of the human mind. The gospel isn't some idea that originated in the minds of a genius guru somewhere, somewhere out there in the monasteries who came up with a grand idea about how humanity might be rescued from all the sin and the suffering in our world. The gospel didn't originate in human beings, nor does it come through a system of religion. It isn't a custom passed down through wise sages. Rather, the gospel is a genuine work of God. It is God's divine action in a broken world. Listen to Paul's experience in, in verses one or verses 11 and 12 of what I read this morning. Paul says, to his accusers, or to the whole church, and the accusers are part of it. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it by any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The Christian gospel is a work of God and God alone. It's his divine initiative to rescue us from sin and the suffering that it causes in our world. And can I say to you, if we think this through, this is really good news. <laughs> and it's, it's good news because if you and I were drowning, who would you rather come up with a plan for your rescue? <laughs> Some pious religious people? Or God? Who has the power to rescue us from the things we need rescued from in our world? Whether it be the mistakes that plague us from our past, the broken relationships that we have, or a world where, where war and conflict is rife, the addictions that we struggle with, who has the power to rescue us? Some religious idea? No. Here is how the Christian gospel is different than the good news of so many other philosophies or, or, or religions on offer in our world today. You see, the philosophy of so many in our day and age is the idea that our human problems our problems can be solved by looking somewhere inside of ourselves. Have you noticed this about the way our, our culture and our world thinks? The solution to your stress and your hardships in life, they will come by finding your inner peace, or so we're told. Or the solution to the tough times that you find yourself in is in order to, you simply just need to find your inner strength. Or maybe the solution, the solution to your hurt and your grief following the loss of, of someone or a relationship, 
The solution to this hurt and grief is simply to go out and do something that makes you feel good on the inside. This is what our world and our culture says the solution is. The solution to life's problems are somewhere inside of us, and we simply need to unlock them. Our inner peace, our inner strength, or the happiness that resides inside of us. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Learning to live with peace and strength and joy, these are good things. Of course they are. They're, They're fruit of the gospel. But the problem here is that it would be completely foolish to think that they have the power or the wisdom that we need in order to solve all of our problems, that, that though the power is somewhere inside of us. In fact, it's a really arrogant thing to think. <laughs> and what we need is something, or, or better yet, someone more powerful than we are and more wise than we are to help us with the things that we are unable to fix on our own. It just makes sense. And the gospel of Jesus comes and says, the solution to your personal problems, it comes in embracing the rescue devised by a God who is both powerful and wise to know exactly what you need. The gospel of Jesus is God's rescue, and it originates not in human beings, nor does it come from inside of us. It is a work of God. It's the first thing. Second, the gospel is a personal encounter. The gospel is a personal encounter that a person has with the living Jesus. It, it happened with Paul, with the Apostle Paul, uh, and it's something that happens with, with every believer. Look at how Paul describes it in verse 12. He says, I received the gospel by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then a little later in verses 15 and 16, he says it this way. He says, God was pleased to reveal his son, Jesus, in me. See, the gospel was both a revelation to Paul and a revelation in Paul. His eyes were opened to who Jesus was and what he had come to do, but more than that, Jesus was revealed in him in some way that that we can't fully understand. Though, if we've encountered Christ, we can. Church, a person can hear the words of the gospel, spoken over and over and over again. But the gospel doesn't become the gospel to a person until we personally encounter the living Christ who pronounces it. This is a reality. And it's because the gospel is not a set of presuppositions to believe in our head. It's not a set of spiritual laws to recite about our sinful nature and and a need for rescue. The gospel is the person of God in Jesus Christ who wants to enter the reality of our human brokenness through his Holy Spirit, and he wants to do something about it. And until that happens, 
Until that happens in a person, until we're open to an encounter with the living Christ, the gospel will remain words on a page. My wife, Gina, she, she grew up in a faithful Catholic commu- uh, uh, church environment. And she heard the gospel spoken, and she saw it enacted in the Eucharist many times, week after week after week, but she never really got it. It didn't click. It didn't click until one day in a worship service. She looked at the cross, and she noticed that the place where Jesus' hands would have been placed and where his feet would have been nailed, they became in that moment to her vividly red, like the blood of Jesus' sacrifice was being highlighted in living color right before her eyes. She had looked upon that same cross many times before, but never saw anything like that before. Jesus and his gospel were being revealed in her. What was once information, it became personal. She was filled with the Spirit, and it clicked. This is the nature of the gospel. It's the nature of the God who has come to rescue us, the personal God who wants to encounter us. And you know what? This happens in many different ways. In Luke chapter 24, we get this story of two men encountering Jesus after he has been risen from the dead. And they describe their encounter in a strange way, saying, you know what? Weren't our hearts really strangely warmed when Jesus was with us? It was an encounter with Christ. Sometimes it's a dramatic thing. Sometimes it's subtle. But every time the gospel clicks, It's because a person has encountered the person of Christ. And now here's the thing. Maybe you've heard the gospel a hundred times. You've heard that Jesus has died for your sins, but it's never really clicked for you. Perhaps it's all just spiritual talk. It sounds like nonsense. Well, here's my encouragement this week. Why don't you simply ask Jesus to reveal himself to you this week and next week and the week after and see what happens? To open your mind and your heart to encounter the living Christ because he wants to make it click. Someone who was close to me, I I remember, would would often come to, to church uh, with Gina and I uh, when we were younger. This is back when we were in Vancouver. And she would always say, you know, I can't, I can't keep going to church with you because every time I go, I, I'm crying the whole time. And so the barrier was that Jesus was knocking at the door saying, I'm here to meet in this place. But it was too much. But it's what we need. Maybe you're here this morning and you know it's what you need. Embrace the one who loves you. The gospel is a personal encounter with the living Jesus. That's the second thing. Third, the gospel produces righteousness in a person's life. 
The gospel is, it, it results in a radical change in a person's life. It produces righteousness. And it doesn't all happen overnight, but it happens. Uh, Paul's life, it was radically changed. Maybe you recall a little bit of his story, uh, Paul's story of conversion. And if you, if you don't, you can read about it in Acts chapter 9 this week. But here's the, here's the snapshot. Paul was really serious about following God's law, like really serious. And his seriousness was because he believed that following the law or following the Torah, it was the necessary, for, necessary condition for having a right relationship with God. If you follow the Torah, you have a right relationship with God. You are righteous. So when he heard about all of these Christians who, who weren't following the law and they were leading other Jews astray, he started to persecute them. And he ordered their execution. Paul was part of persecuting and executing the church. But then Jesus grabs hold of his life, and it's completely changed. Instead of persecuting Christ, he becomes a great promoter of Christ and his gospel in the world. The greatest one, you might say, we've ever seen. And all of it comes in a report in verses 23 and 24. Listen listen to what it says. The people who heard of Paul's former life and had come to Christ, they say, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. It was an amazing change. And the change, it caused people to worship God. And here's what Paul learned through all of his conversion. He learned that passionately following the Torah, it doesn't make a person righteous. Passionately following these laws and rules, it doesn't make a person righteous. Following strict rules doesn't make us right with God, nor does it make us a good person. It doesn't. The law only shows us how often we fail to live up to what it requires. It only shows that on our own strength, we are never truly righteous all of the time. We always fall short. But but Paul met someone who didn't fall short. Jesus, who lived the perfect life. He was God's righteousness in human flesh. And because of the gospel, that righteous Jesus comes to produce his righteous character in the life of a believer. Paul describes it a little later in Galatians, saying this with these words. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, which means I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the gospel isn't simply something we experience once and then we're saved. The gospel is this ongoing encounter with Christ who lives within us, whereby he reproduces his righteousness in us. The gospel isn't simply how we enter into salvation. It's how we remain his salvation people. 
Christ is the vine. We are the branches. And the gospel is that life-giving, ongoing union with him, whereby he produces the fruit of all that is good and right and righteous in us. We are made right with God because of Jesus, not because of what we do. That's the third thing. The gospel produces righteousness. Fourth, and there's five, just to remind you, we're getting there. <laughs> Fourth, the gospel transcends culture. Oh, we need this one in our world. In verses 13 to 14, I want you to notice how, how Paul describes his life before the gospel, uh, uh, before he experiences uh, Jesus. He describes his life before experiencing Jesus as being in Judaism. You notice that? It's twice in verses uh, 13, or once in 13 and once in 14. He describes his life as being in Judaism. Paul was a Jewish man, and his identity was rooted in his Jewish ethnicity in his Jewish faith. But after the gospel of Jesus comes into his life, do you know how Paul refers to himself over and over? It's not in Judaism. It's in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. It's actually how he refers to all of us, in Christ. For Paul, he's no longer in Judaism, but in Christ, in a person. The gospel transcends culture. And this is a huge reason why Paul is writing this particular book. This was a key issue in the Galatian churches. Some people were insisting that all the Gentile Christians who, who were not Jewish, that they had to become part of the Jewish nation before they could enjoy the full blessings of God. The impulse here was to enculturate the gospel to tie Christianity to other identity markers like Jewish ethnicity or, or to the customs that made them uniquely God's people. But Paul is adamant. The gospel is not tied to the culture. It's not tied to the customs. But being a Christian, being a Christian isn't tied to their ethnicity it isn't tied to a national identity. Being a Christian is about Christ and Christ alone. Now, if you've been around MCA Church uh, for a while, you know that, that I care deeply about the church's relationship with the indigenous peoples of Canada. In part, I care deeply about this because of the church's sinful history against these beautiful people. And one of the sins that the church has committed and is seeking to make amends for is the sin of tying the gospel of Jesus to a European culture. Okay? Think about this. When a missionary normally seeks to bring the truth and beauty of the gospel to a people who, who have never heard about Jesus before, typically what they'll do is they'll spend years and years learning the language of the people, 
They'll spend years learning the customs of the people, learning to see the beauty in who they are. And then after these years of learning and listening and gaining a respect for all of these things, the gospel is then translated using the language and the symbols that are embedded in the culture. We have a few missionaries in the room right now, and I think that I'm getting a fist pump here. You know, a good example is, is Paul in Acts chapter 17, um, where he's in, in Athens, uh, and he's using these structures and these, these statues, and he's pointing to them because he, he lived there. He knew the culture. Um, but when the Christian settlers brought the gospel to the indigenous peoples of Canada, by and large, none of that happened. None of it. There was no listening, there was no learning, there was no trying to understand people or culture. Why? Well, one of the reasons why, only one, but one reason why is because the gospel had been wrongly tied to a European culture which meant that the missionary endeavor here in Canada, it became a program of cultural assimilation rather than translating the gospel into the unique and beautiful cultures of our host peoples. And it was wrong, deadly wrong. The gospel transcends culture. And as a church, I, I want to take up a posture of humility and repentance until one day when under the leadership of Jesus, the relationship between the church and these first peoples will be restored. And to that end, we wait and we pray and we take up this posture. And the point is, the gospel transcends culture. We are in Christ that's what makes us God's people. We are in Christ, not in culture. Fifth, the gospel. This brings me to the last point. The fifth and final observation. The gospel invites us into a greater story than the one we were previously living. The gospel is God's invitation to be part of his redemptive plan for the world alongside the rest of the church it is an invitation into a shared union with Christ and a shared mission of Christ alongside other believers. I remember being in Greece as a young adult. Um, I think I was about uh, 22. And I was attending a four-month Bible program there in Greece. And I was surrounded by other Christian uh, young adults who, who more or less looked just like me. They were young white, North American, and we all spoke English. You get a picture, right? Well, one day, we, we, we were at the train station, and, and there was an African woman who was sitting on the bench waiting for her train to arrive. And when she saw this group of young people coming, she greeted us warmly, and, and she asked where we were from and what we were doing there, because this was a, a pretty small uh, backcountry uh, town in Greece. And we explained that, that we were Christians and, and we were going to a Bible school in town. 
And when she heard that detail, it was like the woman exploded with great joy and passion. It was beautiful. She explained to us how Jesus had grabbed hold of her life and about how, how her, her church, she was telling us all about her church and, and how they were following Jesus. And she started to call us my brother and, and my sister. And I will never forget her excitement about meeting us. In fact, this day, some 20 years later, I think about it often. She saw something that I far too often miss. See, when I met her, I saw a woman with whom I shared very little in common. She was older than me. She was from a different country. She had a different ethnicity. She wasn't part of my Bible school program. I probably would never see her again. I saw in her a Christian stranger. But she saw in me a Christian brother. She had a much greater vision of the reality that the gospel brings every single one of us into. She saw the one thing that matters most. <laughs> the one thing that we both shared. And it wasn't that we shared the same ethnicity or the same life experiences, nor was it that we shared the same theological convictions. Rather, she saw that we had both shared in the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And she called me brother. The gospel invites us into a greater story than we are presently living. And so church, will you step into that greater story again with me this morning? as we share the one thing that matters most together, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we sit under your grace. We can't earn your favor. We don't earn your approval. But you give it to us anyways. And you, the holy God, you look to us, Jesus, and you call us brother, and you call us sister. And you meet us in that place in our hearts of our greatest need, not as some distant power, but as a personal presence by your Holy Spirit. And you produce fruit. Jesus, you make us whole. And you lead us in the way everlasting. It's your gospel. And so, Lord Jesus, this morning, all of us, we can only respond with one thing. To you, we give you our yes and our amen.